from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. So hey, everybody, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And on today's podcast, we're going to meet two women entrepreneurs who are doing big things in the state of Michigan and beyond. My guests are Rebecca Collette, who is CEO of Collexium, and Megan Klein, who is founder and CEO of Little Saints. And both are making inroads and strides in an industry that's, let's face it, still a men's club in many ways. There's an MJ Biz Daily report that said that women in senior ranks of cannabis companies fell to just 22.1% in 2021, from 36.8% in 2019. So Rebecca and Megan are true entrepreneurial stories. And whether you're a woman or a man, I think you'll learn a lot from both of them. That's why I want to have them both on. Welcome, Rebecca and Megan. Thanks for having us. All right. So let's first just start by introducing yourselves and sort of the elevator pitch of your companies. We'll start with you, Rebecca. Tell us a little bit about Collexium. Yes. Hi. Well, thank you for having us, Jonathan. Collexium is a Detroit-based cultivation and processing brand. So we produce organic flower topicals and edibles, and we supply throughout retail locations throughout the state of Michigan. Cool. Megan. Thanks. So Little Saints is also Detroit-based with Rebecca and Collexium. Little Saints is a plant magic company. We use um, cannabis and both in the form of CBD in our plant magic mocktails and THC in our gummies as a magic ingredient and a plant magic stack that also includes uplifting botanical terpenes for the cannabis people listening, like limonene and bee caryophyllene, and a pure reishi mushroom extract. And so those three ingredients together create like a lifty um, plant magic feel that is um, sort of a a next generation of um, cannabis for people who are interested more in microdosing and experiencing um, plant magic and cannabis in small doses. That's awesome. So now you're both based in Michigan. Is that the only place that you can get your products or are they beyond Michigan? Yep. For us, it's Michigan. Yep. Michigan only. Okay. Except for our merch. For our merch, you can get it anywhere in the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And Megan, you just were telling me that you have branched out to California. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I just took the red eye from L.A. last night. We just launched our plant magic mocktails at all of the Erewhon stores. We're really excited about that. So, yeah, they're CBD mocktails. It's a hemp-based CBD along with the terpenes of the reishi in our canned drinks. And so those are sold everywhere, e-commerce online. And then, you know, as I said, uh, just six days ago, we got on Erewhon shelves and are um, building out our, like, you know, store presence in L.A. Tell me your origin stories. I'm so curious to know how you guys got into the business. You both have very different backgrounds and talk about how, where you started and how this all came about for you. Cause it's certainly not an easy industry to, to break into whether you're a man or a woman and it makes, seems to be even harder when you're a woman. So we'll, we'll start now with Megan. 
Okay, great. Thank you. So I have, I started out, I have always been passionate about sustainability and clean ingredients from an environmental standpoint. I was an environmental lawyer for Earth Justice. I was fighting factory, 10 years ago, I was fighting factory farms and fracking and coal. What I found about that was I, I don't like fighting. And I believe that the best way to kind of like help us all change our habits is through consumer choices. So I really wanted to get into an industry that would do good through inspiring really great consumer choices. So I um, founded, I ran a hydroponic basil farm for a while. So like Rebecca, I'm a farmer or I was a farmer. Were you doing that while you were practicing law or that after you kind of dropped? I mean, I keep trying to stop being a lawyer. I still practice law on the side because I'm an entrepreneur and I need some cash flow. But I was the general counsel and president of Farm Here, which was one time the largest vertical farm in the U.S. We then, we shut that farm down and we pivoted and we created a really amazing brand using local plant-based produce ingredients in salad dressings, dips, and juices. That brand is called Field and Farmer. It's on shelves in Whole Foods all across the U.S. And so um, once that brand had gone national and I felt really good about where it taken that company, I knew that I wanted to do something in cannabis because I am not a traditional cannabis user. Like I did not like, I mean, I smoked like weed in like high school and college, but smoking weed never was good for me. I would, I am I'm a really extroverted person and I would all of a sudden be like, stoned in a corner and not speaking to people. And so I knew I wanted to do something in cannabis because I'm a label reader. So I would go into dispensaries in Illinois where I was living and look at the gummies and be like, I don't want to have corn syrup. I don't want to eat gelatin. I don't want to have flu number five. You know, there's got to be like a cleaner way to do this that has the plant magic ingredients I want to see. So long story short, I left Field and Farmer serendipitously right before the pandemic in the end of February 2020. And then the pandemic hit. And like many other Midwestern women, I went to slamming wine and I just was feeling terrible and, you know, drinking too much, looking terrible, feeling terrible. And that's when I started really looking into cannabis as medicine and as like a way to um, make myself feel good without like alcohol. And so I, like I said, I didn't like anything on shelf. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to create something that I want to see that's additive to the market. And that's not currently out there. So little saints actually means mushrooms. That's what people in South America call mushrooms because they bring joy and connection. And so I wanted to create something, obviously there's no psilocybin in the little saints products, but the spirit of that is in all of the little saints products. Maybe one day there will be psilocybin. Who knows? Maybe. (laughs) Will. You've set the stage. So anyway, long story short, I worked with a food scientist for like a year to create these cannabis products. So we actually started with the THC gummies. I also have formulated THC beverages, and then I formulated CBD mocktails. And all of those have our plant magic stack of the uplifting terpenes, the pure reishi mushroom extract, which we created for ourselves. And, um, you know, like I said, either the THC or the CBD, depending on what product it is. Rebecca, your origin story. Yes. Well, um, hard to follow that up, (laughs) but it was a a, kind of a similar pathway. I was in corporate. Um, I was an engineer by trade and my dad had got sick. He was a, a veteran and opioids wasn't working 10 pills a day. And I'm like, you still not doing better. We need to, we need to research something else. So we started researching plant medicines and cannabis definitely was one of those that came up. And at the time I was living in the DMV area and um, 
through my research, I saw how challenging it was for even veterans, people who fought for their country to have access to medical cannabis. So I was really like, really just turned off that somebody could leave their family for years and not have a joint. I mean, I mean, I think that is absolutely absurd. So I started, it is crazy. So I started to become an advocate on the national level for uh, veteran access to medical cannabis. I was able to lobby in Maryland and D.C. for a couple of initiatives. And then I became um, a caregiver back home in Michigan, where I was from, and saw really a lot of the legalization that was happening in Michigan. And I started working with all these different brands. And I'm a cannabis consumer and I'm familiar with a lot of cannabis brands. And I really saw a miss for, I never saw any brands that were founded by women. I often saw cannabis brands that were about being stoned all the time or green 420 this, or maybe this rapper started it or this entertain. I never saw cannabis for just like regular everyday professionals. So I moved back to Detroit and me and my partner really expanded our small caregiver grow when the licenses became available to get into the commercial market. So we really saw a need for cannabis products that professionals that were marketed to professionals, engineers, doctors, attorneys, people who use cannabis, but there was nothing out there for them. So that's really what Collexium was founded on. Me and my partner have over seven years of experience in the legal cannabis industry. And one thing that's important to us is keeping the cannabis clean, organic, where we also produce vegan gummies because we're vegan and we're plant-based. And so we're really trying to bring high quality, no pun intended, high quality products to the cannabis industry because we see a lot of commercial cannabis products. They really cut corners. They're really starting to cut corners. They're failing testing. And um, we really pride ourselves on marketing to professionals and providing high quality products. And that's where Collexium was really born. By the way, you puns are welcome on this show because I work at a, <laughs> at a marijuana magazine. It's all I ever do is, and, and people are getting tired of my, of my puns. What's it like doing business in Michigan? I mean, is it, you both started your businesses in Michigan. I'm sure you both hope to expand it. And uh, Megan, you already expanded and I'm sure... I'm sure, Rebecca, in your future, you'd love to expand outside of Michigan. But do you find that's a state that is hospitable to cannabis entrepreneurs? Well, I guess I'll start. I think Michigan, since it has such a long legacy market, caregivers have been legal since 2009. That's over 10 years of people growing at home and getting that experience. But also that's over 10 years of experience of people being comfortable with cannabis, being comfortable with different strains and what is indica, what is sativa. So I think in Michigan, it's a very cannabis-friendly community, but in certain municipalities, there's still a lot of old-school thinking of this is the devil's lettuce. You're going to be at home all day being stoned, not doing any work, not being productive. So you know, I just definitely think it's a, a good mix. But the good thing of, Mich- in Mich- of Michigan, in my opinion, is that there's so many people that love cannabis, much like a lot of the West Coast. There's so many cannabis connoisseurs here, so many people who believe in plant medicine. So I think that's one of the reasons that the Michigan market has been able to be access- as successful as it has been thus far, even though 
many of our biggest municipalities are still not even adult use, but we're still number two or number three in the U.S. as far as cannabis markets after California. So I just, you know, I think Michigan is in a good place, but we still have so much more room to grow. No pun intended. (laughs) See, it just doesn't stop. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, Megan? I mean, you being a lawyer, what are some of the challenges that you've faced growing your business in Michigan and beyond? Yeah. So, I mean, it's so interesting to hear from Rebecca because she's from Michigan and she's been doing this here for a long time. I actually moved from Chicago to Detroit to start Little Saints because Michigan is a great market for independence. Like unlike Illinois, which is like ruled by the big MSOs and it would be, it was, I was trying, it was impossible for me as a sprawl brand with no presence to get a licensing deal with anyone. Whereas Michigan, because we're all independent here, I could get a deal with a great processor and have them provide the canvas and and distribute my product for me. So that was like really great. I also like, because it's all independent, the cannabis industry is really welcoming and fun and does not feel as corporate as um, possibly some other states do. What I have found, like what I could add to what Rebecca said is that, so I've done a lot of experiential marketing. You may have seen from our Instagram. I have a mint green vending trailer that I named Baby Mint. And I take Baby Mint. Baby Mint is a little gem because she allows me to do sampling in parking lots of dispensaries with the CBD mocktails. You know, you're not allowed to like serve anything in a dispensary, but you can serve something like outside. Even non-cannabis infused things you're not allowed to serve. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. No, they don't. And that's great. So like, you know, if I do an indoor event, I'm not sampling anything. I'm just talking. But um, I mentioned this because I've had the pleasure of being able to talk to thousands and thousands of cannabis customers in Michigan this summer because I've been at dispensaries. And I would say I have noticed that Michigan is still a high potency, low price market um, for the very most part. Mine and Rebecca's, you know, like professional, more professional customers are there, but um, they're not going to dispensaries as much. And since I've only operated a cannabis company in Michigan, I don't know what it's like in other states, but Little Saints, because we are also uber premium in, ingredients and there's nothing like that on the market. Our price is also premium. And so um, it's been harder than I thought to kind of get a foothold in the market just because Michigan, all the independents, you know, the prices are pretty low in Michigan compared to Illinois. And I kind of moved to Michigan. I mean, I'm in California yeah, right now. I know. I was just in California going into MedMen and I was like, whoa, these prices are like double of what it is in, in Michigan. And so listen, it's uh, my, our job in the cannabis industry as brands to continue to educate and reach out to our customers and find them with where they are and help them like have trust in these female-owned brands that are doing really premium products. It's just, you know, it's going to take a lot longer uh, than I thought originally when I first started the business, frankly. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick moment to tell you about a new product that we're really excited about here at Entrepreneur Media, Green Entrepreneur CBD. That's right. Green Entrepreneur CBD, the first of its kind designed exclusively for entrepreneurs. I mean, look, we know entrepreneurs at Entrepreneur, and we understand that being an entrepreneur is really hard work. You need to be focused. You need to be passionate. You need to be dedicated. And frankly, you need to be a little bit crazy. But in the end, it's all about maximizing your performance from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to sleep at night. And Green Entrepreneur CBD meets you at every step of the way. Take our Rise and Shine tincture, for example. It's formulated specifically to help you stay focused 
and alert so you can conquer the day's work. Our CBD sports stick is perfect for those little aches and pains you get from running around or if you're like me, sitting too long at your desk. As a bonus, I think you'll really love our unwind soaking salts, which are really nice for a late night bath. And I'm pleased to announce that our prices are also quite reasonable. We know how expensive CBD can get. So head on over to greenentrepreneurshop.com to take a look at our products. That's greenentrepreneurshop.com. Green Entrepreneur CBD could be your secret weapon. Becca, why do you think there's so few women like you in the business? What do you think it is? Is it the stigma around cannabis? Is it the kind of, like I mentioned, the sort of boys club um, mentality of corporate America in general, but definitely it's happening now even in cannabis. I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, but what's your take on it? Yeah. Well, Jonathan, we really could have a whole podcast just about, just about this topic. (laughs) I think it's a combination of in the legal licensed cannabis space, the barriers to entry are extremely high. I mean, high startup costs, real estate is expensive, very political. And so when you just look at just statistics, who owns the real estate? Men. Who owns the current licenses? Men. So even in cultivation, especially in cultivation, I mean, I have never, ever met another woman cultivator, not in Michigan. And oftentimes when I'm talking to construction teams, all men, architects, all men. (laughs) So I think the barriers to entry really discourage a lot of people from wanting to get into the, to the cannabis space is very expensive. And then it's, in my opinion, it's not a new industry, but since there's not a lot of formal education out there, you know, there's some university and higher education programs, but not that many. So cannabis is new to a lot of people, you know, so a lot of people, especially women, they don't know what to do. They may want to, they may have the desire to get into the cannabis industry, but they just don't know how to take that next step. So I think it's one, that it's a boys club Two that there's not any education. There's not a lot of education out there to really teach people, even specifically to women on like best practices. This is what you should do because really I'm Megan probably can attest to this. We just been figuring it out. <laughs> I mean, there's no handbook. We, we got a chance to read. We just been figuring it out. And I just feel like a lot of women, since a lot of women are planners and are organized, they are looking for some next steps, for some best practices, for some type of training that really just isn't there. And then lastly, I would say, especially in certain areas of cannabis, like cultivation and processing, very male dominated. Most of the time, farmers are men. Most of the time, chemists are men. I think the boys club, they can tend to push women out. They can tend to be sexist and and assume that you don't know what you're talking about. What? You can grow weed? What? And, you know, oftentimes when when we talk to other men cultivators and we present them our products, they're oftentimes very surprised at the quality of our flower. They're like, wait a minute, some girls grew this? Literally, I, you, I can't I can't even count how many times I have heard that, which in itself is ridiculous, <laughs> which in itself is ridiculous because the whole origin of our name Collexium is from Calyx, which is the female part of the cannabis plant that produces all the beautiful cannabinoids like THC, etc. So this is a female plant. So you telling me 
females can't cultivate a female plant. So I just think that's, I think that's crazy. If we had all these male plants in the room, we'll have all this weed with seeds and nobody wants that. So no, not going back to weed with seed. (laughs) Right. Megan, have you faced firsthand experiences with kind of a sexism around what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had the same experiences Rebecca has, and I come from the CPG industry, which is also very male dominated. And I would say cannabis is like, take that and maybe, I don't know, sometimes bring us back to like the 90s, right? Rebecca's giving me a head nod there. And listen, I what I would have to add is is just statistics that Rebecca and I both so and also I'd like to add Rebecca and I are both MBAs also. So like, you know, we've been we understand the financials of things and we go into places like very, very educated. And I have had I get that like female thing, like I'm talking about my prices and I get to like shake their head like, Oh honey, that's never gonna work you type of thing. The mansplaining. Yeah. The mansplaining. But I will say, listen, everyone is at the same time, they're very like well-meaning. Like I like to like hang out with them on the side. It's just a hard industry to break into. The only thing that I would add to what Rebecca said in addition is that also cannabis is very expensive. If I look at the projections that I put together um, when I funded this business, like a year ago, I mean, I've blown through those. So women are only raising, what is it, Rebecca, two point something percent of the venture capital money out there. And so we already are facing a barrier of not being able to fundraise to the same extent as men. I would love to see that statistic in terms of like the cannabis industry, because I'm sure it's even worse. I'm sure like, you know, like women are hardly raising any money in the cannabis industry, but I would say just the the funding thing is an additional um, barrier that I hope that we can get together. And also, you know, listen, we've got to, um, there are more women getting into the cannabis industry. I want to make sure I mention um, Melissa from Sugar House Social Club. We've got Sarah Jane in Michigan. Who else am I missing, Rebecca, in terms of like women in the cannabis industry? There are, is that the only four in Michigan? That's kind of incredible and such a huge industry. You're the only four. I'm glad I got two of them on my show. I feel very privileged. Rebecca, you're up against even another, you know, being a person of color, the statistics are even worse in terms of the amount of people of color in executive positions in this industry. I think it's it's now 13%. It was down from 28% in 2019. How are you pushing through that? What do you attribute your, your success to that? I guess it's two questions. One is how are you pushing through that? barrier? And then one, how are you thriving? Well, I guess pushing through is really a persistence. A lot of work that I do and Collexium does is for the community because we know that one of the reasons we even got into the cannabis industry is because the social justice aspect of it. Over 85% of cannabis convictions are to people of color. Whereas you have this multi-billion global dollar global industry and people are still in prison for cannabis, nonviolent cannabis crimes. So one of the reasons we just continue to persist is for our community, because there's not a lot of people that are of color, that are women that are doing this. And we want to do it to be an example for people to understand that it is possible. It's very challenging, Jonathan. Every day is a different cha- a different challenge. Not only is there a boys club, but there's also a Caucasian club. I mean, not to really, you know, throw it. I mean, but no, it is. Call it what it is. Listen, I went to MJ Biz in Vegas. If that's any indi- if that's a reflection of what the industry is, I mean, it's like 90% white men just walking around. Yeah, 
It is. I think it's one because of the barriers to entry. Like it's so expensive to do a lot of things in cannabis. And when you just look at, you know, who can raise money, who are these VCs, who are these banks that are doing these loans, that are lending these monies, that are raising money there. I mean, they don't look like me. So I just was definitely about persistence and it's definitely about being a role model. So people of color that want to get into the cannabis space, see that it is possible. So very challenging. And I just hope as- Yeah, this, well, all the social equity programs we hear about, are they just not really working? In my opinion, Jonathan, no, I don't think they are. I, I think a lot of them are really just about PR. You know, a lot of companies nowadays, they want to say they're doing something to give back social responsibility. Um, and I really think that's what it is. You know, some of the programs on the West Coast, I think, have figured a couple of kinks out. But for instance, here in Michigan and specifically in Detroit, we're fighting against lawsuits. Some people want social equity and some people don't. And there's a lawsuit and now all licenses on pause for adult use. So it's it's challenging. It's a lot of systemic barriers that social equity programs do not talk about, do, do not address. Exactly. Megan. Talk to me about marketing to women, cannabis to women specifically. Is that challenging? Because, you know, I don't, I haven't looked at the numbers and I don't, and recently and about, about how many women consume cannabis as opposed to men, but I would imagine it's maybe less, at least that, or maybe they will admit it in a survey. So how have you approached it in a way that can sort of maximize the, uh, your sales? How do you market to women? Well, thanks. I think that's the reason that I did the CBD mocktails. I mean, they're a great product. They actually give you like that first sip of wine feeling with that alcohol, but also they allow me to reach my target female customer where she is, which is not really going to the dispensary. Like I said, you know, I do those events and I wish I had like, you know, a camera, but I would say 90% of the men that are 90% of customers going to the dispensary are men. And so like the, and a lot of the women that are going have been like, you know, they're more pro cannabis users and they're buying cartridges and they're buying flour. And so for my microdose products, I'm trying to meet those women where they are, which is why, you know, I did hemp silk cocktail masks and I sold them in fashion stores. Like I'm selling CBD mocktails in like liquor stores and wine bars, like the Royce, like other like female owned um, restaurants here. I'm selling them in a nightclub. So I'm trying to get the brand out there to people who are like where my target customer already is rather than expecting that they are going to go into the dispensaries when they don't do that already. And we keep talking about funding here, but this is still a small business. I did not raise millions of dollars. And so I'm not putting up billboards and I, you know, I need to just kind of do a grassroots organic effort to reach the customer in places other than dispensaries and hope that over time, you know, that is going to build some enough momentum to really grow Little Saints as like a, a cannabis brand in Michigan and not uh, mostly like a CBD brand, which is like where the majority of our revenue comes from today. Rebecca, you have to work with the dispensaries because you have THC infused products. So how what what is the challenge you face and how are you overcoming that marketing THC uh, cannabis to women? Yeah, um, it's challenging marketing in the cannabis industry in general, since it's still federally illegal. You know, a lot of the marketing avenues are not available to us as cannabis entrepreneurs. Doing paid social ads and, and paid digital ads 
we have never done. We have been threatened several times of our accounts getting shut down because of certain pictures or words or hashtags that we use. So a lot, like Megan said, a lot of our marketing has to be grassroots. We do um, a lot of vendor day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) We do a lot of vendor days, but I think really what has helped us, especially with the woman demographic is how much education we do. One of the reasons that I see more oftentimes women not being comfortable using cannabis flower is because they're uneducated. They don't know what it is, what it does. What does this flavor mean? What is Gushers? What is OG Kush? What is an Indica? So one of the main things that we do is provide immense education on what the strains do, what you can use them for, where were they derived from? How long does it take to grow? What is a terpene? What is resin? What is keef? We do extreme education. And what we see is a lot of times people who try our products are first time smokers, but we've made them so comfortable in our education and in our marketing that they want to try. They say, oh, so this will help me sleep. I'm going to try it. And then since our products are great, they have positive benefits from the products, so they are reoccurring users. So that, was, that, that has been very helpful for us. How do you educate them? You do it, obviously, in-store kind of activations, right, where you're out there talking about products. Do you educate the bud tenders? Like, I'm curious how you get the message, how you get the education out there. And I know it's a challenge. It is a challenge, but we do a couple things. We do some in-store with talking to consumers, but we also have a bud tender program where we release new strains or just new collections. We go talk to the bud tender, see if they have any questions. We also provide samples so they can try them for themselves because that oftentimes that, that bothers me when like you go to a dispensary or even a restaurant and you ask the waiter, well, what do you suggest? Or have you ever tried this? And they're like, no. Well, have you tried this? No. Have you, have you tried anything? <laughs> right. Do you work at this restaurant or are you just a guy right. walking? <laughs> right. So that's something that we do is we want, especially people who work at the dispensaries to have experience with our brand um, so they can share their experience with the cus- customers. And then we also use social media and YouTube. I mean, we try to be very careful with the images that we display so we don't get the videos taken down. But um, a lot of education we try to do through our social media platforms as well. Just quick little short videos of what THC is or short, quick little videos of the growing process. That's something else that I see in the cannabis industry, especially with the bigger brands, is you oftentimes see the end results, the end product. But what was the process? A lot of consumers nowadays, they want to know the process. They want to know the process of how it was a seed to this end pretty flower in this pretty jar. And we try to really show our customers the process. And I think that also makes people comfortable with consuming. In closing here, I'd love your advice. Imagine somebody is listening to this, maybe a woman who is interested in getting into this business from any aspect, whether it's plant touching, not not plant touching. What, and I'm sure you meet, this is something, you meet these people all the time in your work. But what what do you tell them? What is your advice to people considering getting into this business? Don't give up. 
I would say like that we're Rebecca and I are here because we like refuse to give up and we keep on trying. And like when one person says no, another person says yes. Like many, many dispensaries have said no to me. I totally love the dispensaries like New Standard and Breeze and Candy said that have said yes. Like people will say yes. There are people that will get it. Just make sure that you are bringing something really additive, having your consumer in mind and like staying on focus and like Right now, there's still a lot of room to grow as long as you are persistent and tenacious. Love it. Rebecca, final words. Final advice is to piggyback off Megan is really to be persistent because you'll you'll get more no's than yeses. And we are pioneers. What Megan created, nobody's seen it before, but we are creating Collexium. Nobody's seen this before. So we are often met with a lot of resistance because it's new. Nobody has... This is new. We're we're all on this new pioneering journey in this prohibition of cannabis. So it's be persistent. And the last advice I would give is to do your research so you really can identify a gap in the industry and a solution to fill it. Oftentimes people, women or men, want to get into the cannabis industry and they really haven't done their research onto, you know, why their product or service will benefit the industry, you know? So I just, I think it's very important to do that analysis, find where those gaps are and identify a solution to fill them. Megan, well, actually now I'm going to let you guys promote your products at this point. So if people want to find out more about Little Saints and Eclexium, where should they go? What should they do? I love Rebecca's products, by the way. I don't know. I think we are maybe sold in the same store. So in Michigan, you can find our THC microdose gummies that have two milligrams of nano THC and a stack of uplifting botanical terpenes and reishi mushroom. You can find them at New Standard Breeze Gatsby and Green Buddha. And in addition, you can find um, other, we have our cannabis website is littlesaintsmagic.com and our CBD mocktail and plant magic inspired accessory website is littlesaints.com. Awesome. And if you're at Irwan in California, which is like a fashion show, could you believe this, the scene in Irwan <laughs> in Los Angeles? <laughs> There was an article about in the New York Times that said it was like the hottest place to go in LA during the pandemic. Yes. In addition, like our CBD mocktails, we just um, launched a partnership with M4CIC to distribute to um, bars and restaurants and um, liquor stores throughout the state of Michigan. And then also, as you said, we are in Erewhon in LA and hopefully more accounts soon. Rebecca. Awesome. You can follow us on Instagram. We do a lot of social media marketing. So you can follow us on Instagram at Collexium underscore Detroit. Any social media platform at Collexium. Collexium is spelled because sometimes people get it twisted. C-A-L-Y-X-E-U-M. You can also find us on our website, Collexium.com. You can also find us on Weed Maps that really shows you how many dispensaries, what's the closest dispensary near you, where you can find Collexium products. We also have a nonprofit where we do work in the community, CollexiumCalidus.com. And we have a cannabis business incubator helping individuals who want to be entrepreneurs in the cannabis space. That website is DetroitCannabisProject.com. Well, Megan Klein and Rebecca Collette, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. And I wish you best of luck on both of your businesses. I'm very excited to see where you guys are in the next few years. And, uh, Keep up the good fight and keep being persistent. We need more people like you in this business. Thank you so much for having us. This is so fun. Thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. 
Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later. Thank you.